Dashni, Gzim, Rima Kombie, Ndryshim Tari, Lumturi, Edhe Qëllim. Mrena Zemrës është fuqi, Mrena Zemrës është kurajo, Mrena Zemrës është inspirim, Mrena Zemrës është që ajo fuqia që nga jep neve jeta për me bodi diçka, për me bodi diçka që është pak ma ndryshe, për me bodi diçka që pjen dashni këtë bodë, kështë që mrena zemrës e kena qatë energjim që është në avytë për me kalu vështërësi tona, po dhe për me pru diçka trej. Për shëndet e shëshni, hej, sëd e kena një musafir shumë special, është nga Amerika, Karl Hammerdoffer, edhe intervista kam e që në anglisht, kështu që nëse dëni me hi këtu, hini me vesht të anglishtës, edhe tash pianisim me anglisht qësaj epizode, se kena këtu njerës në Kosovë që jom për Amerike e jashtit e pse mësmi pas musafir për këtë punë. So, with me today, it's uh, Carl Hammerdorfer. Uh, Carl is an um, uh, incredible social entrepreneur. Uh, he is one of the, my favorite innovative people to talk to these days because he understands Kosovo. Uh, he also has a, a background where he was the dean of uh, uh, business school. Was it business school? Or? Well, it wasn't the dean. I was a director. Director, for, sorry. Yeah. The director for uh, business. I wish I were the dean. I know. Uh, <laughs> it's the, the damn deans. Um, for the Colorado State University, right? Yeah, for their a global social sustainable entrepreneurship program how cool is that global social sustainable sustainable entre- entrepreneurship was program. a terrible name they've now yeah. changed the name to impact oh, mba wow. <laughs> but i got the url for them the good mba.com so oh, if anybody wants to see okay it, that's yeah. interesting i like that yeah. uh, i like that and carl the last eight years you, you've traveled all over the world in the international development space you were a peace corps volunteer uh, you did uh, also directed Peace Corps in one country. Did yeah, I get that I was right? country director in Bulgaria. In Bulgaria. Just, just across the peninsula. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, so you did that, and then the last eight years you've been in Kosovo. Yes, correct. So I'm so curious to dive about your Kosovo journey and stories, but before that... Um, how was your life when you were born? Where were you born? How was being born in United States? Uh, how is it different from, you know, what what you've learned from when people are born here and how, how we grow up? We, you know, uh, I think it was Andy Warhol who said we all get 15 minutes of fame. Okay. And I got mine uh, the day I was born because I was born, I was the first baby born January 1st, 1961 in Fort Dix, New Jersey. Okay. So they brought in the media, my mom and dad won some prizes, I got my picture in the newspaper, and it's all been downhill since then. <laughs> this is my second appearance. Wow. <laughs> That's funny. Um, but uh, yeah, so I was born, my father was a military guy, mm. uh, grew up in New York, I always thought of him. And he thought of himself as a New York Italian, okay. uh, <clears throat> even though his dad's name was Hammerdorfer, you know, German, German but yeah. the Italian side of the family was much bigger. His mother's name was Torchi, as you know, huh. Teresa Torchi. Yeah. And I was to find out much later in life that although they were New York Italians, they knew they had originated from Albania. Oh, wow. So let me get the Jacques Kosovare <laughs> thing in there first. Um, He's one of us. I'm one, exactly. <laughs> uh, but... um. <clears throat> You know, I just had I had kind of what I thought was a normal American childhood childhood mm-hmm. because my dad was military. Mm-hmm. You know, the American military was was and is all over the world. Yeah. Um, my mom was German. My dad went to Munich when okay. he was nineteen. Okay. Uh, in the fifties, met my mom, mm. uh, doing what what teenagers, you know, young young adults want to do is dance and have a good time. Yeah. And they married, had three kids. Um, so I grew up as a military brat, as we call them in the States. Yeah. I spent the first 18 years of my life on Air Force bases. So you traveled all over? Yeah, I had lived eight places before I was 18. Wow. So the first place I chose to go when I was 18 was Arizona. Arizona. Uh, yeah, I went to Tucson, Arizona. But, you know, the Air Force life is kind of really meat and potatoes American life. You know, you play 
football, you play basketball, you go to American schools, even though we lived in Germany for six years. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I had a pretty normal American childhood, good schools, good family. Um, but I, what I didn't know at the time was that living in Germany and, you know, we'd take vacations to Italy or to Spain. We didn't have much money. My dad was not an officer. He was an enlisted man. Yeah. So we were real, very middle class. Mm. Uh, but I was getting all this, you know, I can remember my dad dragging the three of us, my brother and sister and I, through Paris. And we kind of hated it. Like wow. as nine-year-olds, ten-year-olds would. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just want some food uh -huh. uh, or Coke. Um, but, yeah, so that – that was the first 18 years of my life, just oh. normal American life. I, we did I, – I went to elementary school in Germany. We moved back when I was, uh, I guess, 13. I went to junior high school in Hampton, Virginia. Yeah. Uh, and then went to high school in Illinois, close yeah. to St. Louis, in the middle of the country. Okay. Uh, which, um, you know – that sort of 15 to 18-year-old period of your life is, is really formative, I think, yeah. in terms of who mm. you're going to become. Mm. And again, you don't know what's happening to you when you're going through it. Yeah. But looking back, I was becoming somewhat steeped in kind of a middle America sort of conservative mm. worldview. Mm. Mm. And then I went to college and everything changed. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, wow, and and you know, for us, is very like this new American military family. You know, just for the people, just to quickly explain, that means that you know you had to travel. You were in living in bases, right? The military bases. So you had the the, the people that were also traveling with you there. Their the special schools. So it's it's a whole environment that actually people go through, and in U.S. that's a normal thing. Uh, and when Carl is saying. Uh, a normal American life, <laughs> you know, like it's, it sounds like, you know, you're traveling and all these different things, but I guess all the military families, that's, that's what they go through. Right. Yeah. I mean, it seemed normal to me. Yeah. Like you, you'd get three years of normality, three or four years when you lived in a place, you uh -huh. had your friends. What I think was uniquely not normal, which was great is when I was in Germany, my best friends were the boys upstairs the vasquez brothers mm. uh leonard steve and jamie okay and they were mexican americans they were okay. americans but yeah. they were you know their parents mm. or their grandparents had come from mexico mm. and mm. and i had i had quite a lot of hispanic and black and brown friends let's mm. say because the military as much as it's somewhat right of center conservative leaning mm -hmm. it's actually been very progressive in terms of okay um opportunities for people yeah. of color oh, it's disproportionately okay. black and hispanic and and yeah. even now kind of asian yeah. because that is a way for people to get good employment yeah. and you know they get out of the military and they've got other opportunities yeah. so i had mm -hmm. that unique thing <clears throat> um the other thing yeah i say normal you're right it, yeah. it's not normal <laughs> it seemed normal to me but yeah. i can remember standing in a lunch line at school because in, in the U.S., you, you eat your lunch at school every yeah. day. Being the only uh, – not knowing anyone hmm. several times because wow. I switched schools. And that's tough when you're a yeah. child when and, you're, you're young, you know, yeah. I wasn't the most extroverted, secure person. Hmm. Um, and that's formative too. Hmm. Now, hmm. I mean, uh, my wife Kathy and I, yeah. we could pick up tomorrow and move to – to Greece or to Vietnam yeah. or wherever. And she also grew up internationally. Her dad was a businessman. Yeah. So we're very comfortable being transplanted and making friendships and local families wherever we land, oh, That's which is kind of different from here, right? Because yeah, sure. people are so rooted yeah. in their communities and their families and place, yeah. Which, yeah. which we love to observe, but that's not and, and we've been able to become rooted here for eight years. This is the longest I've ever lived any place. Wow. Is in Pristina, Kosovo. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. So what made you um, want to go into the um, social entrepreneurship, contribution, devel international development? Why, why you chose that? You know, in America, it's much easier to make money, you know, getting a finance degree, going to Wall Street. Why, why did you choose that path? What inspired you to to go maybe in college or after college or how, how was that for you? I mean, it's, it was somewhat Taoist, you know, you know, the Tao, okay. Taoism is just follow the river, whichever yeah. way it bends and go okay. with it. 
Um, I never had any money. I was dirt poor in college. Okay. You know, when I was 18, I left. I had $500 and a bus ticket to Tucson. Yeah. And that was it. No family wow. support. Wow. So I, you know, I had to work all the way through college. Uh, when I was at Arizona State... Uh, I was working at the State Press, the newspaper okay. there. Which oh, no way. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. Oh, I was, that's interesting. <laughs> I was on the advertising side. Okay. Uh, uh, and uh, a buddy of mine and I started a coupon book business. You've probably gotten these things at the beginning of the semester, these mm-hmm. coupon books that they hand out. Yeah. You can get two-for-one burgers at oh, the yeah, bump yeah. Okay. Yes, or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So oh, cool. we did that to make extra money. Huh. Uh, so I was an entrepreneur – when I was at college, you know, mm. needing more money to pay for my tuition and my trips to Mexico. Mm. Actually, before that, when I was 12, you know, I'd just go knock on doors with my friend Jay Rose and ask yeah. people if we could cut their grass or wash their car for yeah. three bucks, three dollars. Oh, so I've, I've always kind of had the entrepreneurial thing, studied liberal arts, uh, yeah. history, political science, English literature at college. And then uh, I went to Peace Corps. Peace. Uh, huh. Uh, yeah, I met my wife, Kathy, in Germany, and she'd always wanted to do Peace Corps. So we yeah. went to live in a village in Mali, West Africa. Okay. And I mean a village. Like, yeah. no electricity, mm. no plumbing, no running water, wow. no flush toilets. Yeah. You know, you had a latrine in the back of your yard. Got a squat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we built our own shower. We took bucket baths. Yeah. Um, wow. And it, it was two years living with rural people in a village. And I learned there that, you know, I hated business. I thought business was a place where evil people went Hmm. to extract money from working people. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and I was trying to be a writer, and every time I had a business person in a book, it was this kind of wooden character who was there extracting, this mean person who would kick the beggar as Hmm. I went. But then I realized pretty quickly that these people in this village needed business to improve their lives so they yeah. could get their kids to school yeah. you know or, or buy medicine or build an extra house yeah. you know yeah. and so i trained a group of young men to be well diggers mm-hmm. to dig wells that wouldn't cave <clears throat> in when the water table rose and hmm. we trained people to dry mangoes mangoes were rotting on the ground mm. uh dry them so they could package them and sell them we tried to get my wife got them into soybeans and soy nuts and yeah uh, Wow. And I really kind of like, even though I sort of disliked business, I was involved in helping people in my community use business to try to create a better life. Mm. Mm. They had very few political rights there, you yeah. know. And then afterwards, uh, I got into, uh, uh, the, you know, I went and did some work in Cote d'Ivoire, uh, south of Mali there, mm. um, for this company that needed someone who spoke French. Bombara and who knew water sanitation. Okay. And Peace Corps had trained me in water sanitation, wells and latrines. Okay. And they trained me in French and Bombara. So I was probably one of three people oh. in Washington, D.C. who met mm. the qualifications. Mm. Oh. And I went to this community south of Abidjan along the coast where all these refugees had come, fisher people. Yeah. And they had built a community, but it was a squatter settlement. They had no way to take care of their human waste mm. or their garbage. Mm. Uh, so I helped them create social enterprises. This was 1991, before anyone had even coined the term social yeah. well, enterprise. I was one years old. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you had not come and blown up the sector. Yeah. But, um, you know, it just seemed like, like if, you, if you're going to try to get human waste taken mm. care of, well, let's build some latrines and yeah. hire people to manage those because yeah. They, yeah. they require management and cleaning and yeah, investment. Yeah. And the same with, garbage so mm. i did social enterprise there yeah. so i guess that's what, what what one thing that um you know so for people who don't know peace corps yeah. uh, how would you describe peace corps to people because it seemed like you know you went to college and then you went to peace corps cool. and then they put you to molly you got all these experiences you started using business as a force for good mm-hmm. and and everything started shifting you know like you're learning different skills how to help how to create sanitation all these things what is peace corps for people who don't know can you describe maybe 
uh, what this program is. And also, I know we have in Kosovo also Peace Corps volunteers here as well. Oh, so, Corpus Ipaches. Corpus Ipaches. Huh? Yeah, is what they call it here. Huh. They're just down the street, their yeah, offices here. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Peace Corps was started by John Kennedy at a time when American optimism was really high. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the economic growth after World War II had been huge. Uh, yeah. It was 1961. Vietnam was not yet the terrible yeah. thing that it would become. Yeah. And the idea was we would extend American uh, progress uh, to the poor countries, what they used to call the third world, mm-hmm. a term that we don't really use anymore. Yeah. Sending American know-how out. They went to Ghana, the Philippines, and people were going to live at the local standard and help people build, it was thought of as pretty technical at the time, bridges and water and yeah. infrastructure, some education. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> Peace Corps has now been around for 60-something years. They've uh, Some 250,000 Americans have served. Hmm. Uh, I was in Mali when, they, when the wall came down in Germany, and they said uh-huh. they were going into Hungary, oh, Peace Corps. I was like, we were like, what? We're living in a village. These people are going to be sitting in the, on the Danube drinking white wine. Yeah. How was that Peace Corps? You yeah, know? interesting. But, um, and Peace Corps here, and they were in yeah. Bulgaria. You know, I can't, later came to realize that the physical challenges that people in, in Amali or mm-hmm. Philippines face, you know, are surmountable. Um, but a lot of the problems in the former Soviet communist world are, are deeper in a way. They're yeah. cultural, as, as you know, and yeah, so yeah. different challenges. Mm. But yeah, Peace Corps gives Americans a chance to serve for two years. Most of them are young Americans. Most of them are college grads. But if you're like a farmer or a construction person, you don't need a college degree. Probably 15% of them are older Americans who really have a lot more to offer than a 22-year-old. Mm-hmm. And I went in as a married volunteer with Kathy, my wife. Wow. Um, and, uh, you know, Peace Corps sort of sh- collapsed during COVID. Now it's, it had 8,000 people in 80 yeah. countries. Uh-huh. Now it's probably up to 1,500. They're really yeah. trying to rebuild. Wow. Um, and people do it for altruistic reasons, yeah, I think. They want to change yeah. the world to contribute. Yeah. Um, and it's, and a, it's right it's, after college, or is it at any point in life you can join? You can join Peace Corps yeah. if you want. Uh, I mean, actually, anybody. I think it's great if you can do it in your 40s because you have so yeah. much energy and so much wisdom yeah. and knowledge to yeah. offer. But most of the people do it right after college. Yeah. And a lot of those people then get in, as I did, they get into international development because this whole world is, a, you know, this yeah. world that you don't know exists as a normal American in Illinois yeah. or Arizona, huh. you know. These embassies and these yeah. diplomats and yeah. USAID yeah. and people doing legal reform and gender and entrepreneurship and, yeah. and all of this stuff that yeah. we do globally for billions mm. of dollars. Mm. Well, Peace Corps is a great preparation for that. Yeah. So when yeah. you look at when you go up to the embassy here, yeah. I would say if you look at the most common background element for those people, Peace Corps would be one of the yeah. top three for, for sure. sure. For sure. Wow. Yeah. What a powerful program. Okay. Yeah. Super. Shum, shumir. <laughs> I, want, I would love to help. I think one mistake Peace Corps has made is uh-huh. when they leave a country, like they left Bulgaria when uh-huh. they went in the EU. Yeah. They said Bulgaria has graduated. Oh. I think it's a huge mistake not to help Bulgaria create its own Peace Corps. Hmm. Because it's an ex- I like expression. That's a good idea. And I think we should be helping Kosovo create its own Peace Corps. It would not be, it would be a fraction of the size of the U.S. one, but why couldn't you send young Kosovars to work in an NGO in Bulgaria or Germany or the U.S. or Tanzania? I love that. You know, they would love the, people have asked me, you know, like sometimes as Americans, we don't appreciate what we have, Hmm. you know, and uh, I've had so many young people say, I wish I could, be in a Peace Corps, you know, yeah. can I be it? No, yeah. you need to be an American to do mm. it. But there's no reason why. You got to be an American. I love that. And and I think two things come 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 to my mind. One is um, you said that you were working, you know, um, even as a student, you yeah. know, you were, you said $500, you went to Arizona yeah. and then you were working, you know, like here in Kosovo, 
It's not as common, even though, yes, I see students getting like bartending jobs and all these things, but sometimes they're like, oh, no, no, I'm, you know, uh, like I don't work when I'm studying because mm -hmm. I had to also moan glass, uh, grass uh, all over, babysit, mm -hmm. tutor math, physics. When I went to U.S., I was training dogs because my family, where I lived, my exchange family had 11 dogs. So after I started working with them, Then I was like, I need a certification so I can start training actual dogs. And then my neighbors were like, can I? Can you teach my dog to sit or to huh? walk without a leash or walk normally? So I started doing all these jobs. And I find that that is so normalized in the United States to actually work and support yourself in college. Yeah. Uh, here... Sometimes I feel like it, that's that's not the case as much. Uh, not the case as much. Usually parents are going above and beyond to support kids with the money, mm -hmm. with everything, so that during college they don't have to work. But I think, do you think that's a good thing? Um, no? I do think it's, I, I'll tell you what, I, yeah. I have mixed feelings about it. Okay. It was tough. You know, I was, I can remember looking under the couch pillows to find dimes and quarters hmm. so i could buy food or beer on a weekend you know <laughs> i didn't have any money yeah you know all my money went into school um and i was a little resentful at times because you know a lot of the people i knew at the u of a were they came from a higher class socioeconomic class and they didn't have to work so they were in mm. fraternities and sororities and in retrospect, I'm glad I had to work. I think if someone had just paid for me to do it all and I didn't work, I don't think I would have used the work time to study more. I think I would have probably used it to party more. To party. You know, that's, that's, it. Yeah. right? Because, yeah. you know, American universities yeah, yeah, are yeah. party machines, yeah. <laughs> basically. But for our own kids, like, we wanted them to not have to work. We paid for them to go to college. Mm. Mm. And, um, you know, I mean... I meet yeah. young people here all the time now, more and more, yeah. more now than eight years ago. Mm -hmm. Cashiers at the Interex yeah. or at the Spar, yeah. bartenders. And a lot of times I like to speak Albanian because uh -huh. I love the language. And they'll speak, they'll recognize, they'll speak back to me in English. Yeah. And I'll, I'll always ask them, are you a student? And almost always they are. Yeah. And yeah. I would say, mm. I always tell them, Because yeah, some of them are kind of bitter about having to work. Yeah. I think they think it's beneath them. They're mm. on some elite track. That's right. Students. That's right. And I always tell them, you know, you're going to look back and really be glad that you're working. I told them I've worked through college. Many yeah. people do. Yeah. It's not a terrible thing. Yeah. And you learn a lot at work, even yeah. if you're at a grocery store that you can't learn in college yeah. or waiting tables. Um, but some are bitter. Some are just doing it because it's economic reality their families yeah. don't have the money yeah, to yeah. pay for their lives mm. i do think they'll be better for it um yeah. better as workers um mm. but mm. on the other hand you know like if you've got a, a kid who's really committed to something some passion yeah i think paying so they can fully engage in their passion which you know whatever they're studying is fine too yeah. you know yeah, i don't want to yeah. say either's better or, or worse but yeah. in general i think it's a You know, I love hiring people who've had to work mm. in yeah. crappy jobs. Yeah. <laughs> And in fact, a lot of a lot of Kosovars don't put that on their resume. Mm. So I get a resume from a kid. Yeah. A young person, not a kid, yeah. sorry. Yeah. And when I'm talking to them and digging in, I find out that they were they worked, you know, cleaning floors at a grocery store. So, well, why isn't that on your resume? And they're kind of embarrassed by it. Oh, that's And I tell them from my perspective, yeah. that's character building. Yeah, I sure. want someone who has done mm. work that is not pleasant, mm. but hopefully they've learned to do it well. Yeah. Uh, and I also think like when you do that kind of work that you do as a young person, which is, I think you learn a lot. You don't know you're learning it, but I think you really learn a lot about complexity, mm -hmm. like what's happening below the scenes yeah. that makes the restaurant a nice place for customers. Yeah, It's not automatically nice. It has to do yeah. with the fact that someone yeah. mops the floors and cleans the lettuce yeah. and, yeah. you know, whatever else, yeah. polishes the silverware, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah. so I, I, mm. I think on balance, yeah, it's a pretty yeah. good thing. Yeah, same. I, I, I think that type of 
exposure because sometimes uh, I cannot get a job is the, the thing, you know, and I'm like, you can get a job, but you don't want to get a job that maybe it's not what you dream of, you know, it's start somewhere. You. Yeah, it's beneath you. And I think we have to challenge that uh, uh, just as a, as a, as a thing. Uh, I worked as a bartender in a casino, yeah. and Carl, I tell you that I never felt like I'm serving the devil. But there, it felt like my manager was this guy. In, this was in Colorado, actually, Cripple Creek, Colorado. Oh, yeah. I, it was Cripple a gold Creek. mine city, and there's all casinos. And I went there uh, to get an internship for solar panels, installing solar panels and stuff like that. But that was during the day, and during the night what to do in Cripple Creek, Colorado. It was like all casinos and no young people, all older people. I didn't drive. So I was literally stuck there and I did not want to just go on TV and do nothing. So I got a job and I was working there and I had no experience in bartending. <laughs> but uh, they needed young people. They needed workers. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go. And it was really tough because my manager was telling me like, everybody who's here needs to have one drink that's your job you know and i was like oh you know why why is that important like look because when they drink you mess their judgment and then they gamble more Ah. and i'm like what the hell you know like i am doing this you know and then uh, all the people would come in and they were like oh yeah today i'm gonna hit it you know like oh my wife doesn't know i sold the car and this and that and i'm like (laughs) <laughs> you, uh, you know, it was very tough, but yeah. also that taught me, um, and I have to mention this. This is a very American thing. Uh, the hotel where I was was haunted. Ah, okay. In so, Cripple Creek. In Cripple Creek. I actually had to learn the stories of the haunted stories on how the spirits are moving about uh-huh. to share with people, because sometimes they would come like with these... Uh, like ghost uh, measuring devices. Right, to detect the spirits. To detect the spirits, right? And and my manager had like a, a catalog of stories <laughs> that he's like, you learn this story and this story. And we had to learn the stories and, and share those stories. Ah. Uh, but that taught me a lot, even though it was like pretty messed up situation. First mm-hmm. of all, it taught me about like the gambling, what uh, an addiction, how serious that is. Yeah. Alcohol also, how it can influence behavior in all these different things. Also, how managers work, how people, the, the haunted, how it's a huge industry, actually. Yeah. Yeah. It's a huge industry. I was surprised how huge that is. But, you know, all this goes to say that having these learning by doing experiences, I think it's it's a really incredible gift. And I think education should focus more towards that. Like even Peace Corps model, mm-hmm. how cool is that? You know, you went to Mali, mm-hmm. how much you've learned in that journey, yeah. it's probably much more than what you learned at the university throughout your uh, three, four years or however long that, that lasted. Well, you know, I, I think one mistake that we make when we're young is we we don't recognize that it's a journey. Mm. We're thinking about the destination. Mm. You know, where do we want to go? Do we want to be a stockbroker, a lawyer, a doctor? Do we want to be in Mexico or New York or whatever? Mm. Mm. And, you know, it's Mm. only a little bit later that you realize it's a journey and um, you wish that maybe you knew that earlier. Mm. Because I think, like, we all have this opportunity to be uh, an observer of our own journey, a, mm-hmm. a, a sort of a cultural anthropologist, yeah. right? Yeah. We're experienced. We're, we're living in, you know, uh, in this drama that we're not often observing mm. as a journey because we're too focused on the destination. So, mm. um, yeah. I, and I, yeah. I, I do think like, hmm. you know, the older one of the few advantages to getting older is looking back at these experiences as you just observed and mm. realizing what an opportunity to live okay a great opportunity to live in a Malian village and see how they live but equally great opportunity to live in cripple creek yeah and observe human interaction yeah. and you know stories yeah or in kosovo you yeah, know even, like yeah. you work as a waiter here in pristina and maybe mm. you come from Lina or Istok or something yeah. like that. Yeah. 
you you have the opportunity to to switch on your observer sense, hmm. your sort of a, activate your amateur cultural anthropologist and see hmm. why how people are acting, why they're acting that way. Hmm. So hmm. I mean, and I know you do a lot of consciousness work, yeah. and I think this is yeah. kind of yeah to observe. Yeah. Hmm. Do you think so? What was so then you came to Kosovo from all these things mm-hmm. and. I, I, your observations are really awesome. Um, what was your first impressions when you came to Kosovo? Uh, how that happened, and how was your first impression? Like, oh shit, I'm in Kosovo. What happens now? Mm-hmm. Well, the first time I came to Kosovo was 2008. I was managing this impact MBA at Colorado State. Okay. And that program depended on half of its student being in. Inter- student body being internationals. So I wanted to get some from the Balkans because I had worked in Bulgaria for five years. Hmm. <clears throat> so KAF, Kosovo American Education Fund, yeah. was looking for people to interview students. Oh. Right? And uh, so I came here as a volunteer in 2008 for American councils. They're yeah. the people who run KAF. Yeah. And I came for three days. I was there on Cafe Tuvogla, behind Cafe Tuvogla in Bropa. Uh, you know where their office is behind? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not the Basilico side, but the other side. The other there. side, yeah. Um, and uh, I sat there for three days drinking macchiatos. I was drowning in macchiatos because <laughs> they're so great. Um, I was astounded by the. You know, I could, I could go to Basilico and get this fantastic Italian food, yeah. right? Or Gresa or whatever. Um, but what what really struck me was the quality of these young people hmm. who were coming in to interview to to study in the U.S. Hmm. You know, I was I was kind of blown away, and and I was running an MBA program with some really amazing, bright people. A lot of them had done Peace Corps. And, mm-hmm. um, a lot of them had done great things in their countries. But I was so impressed with these young people that I was interviewing, you know, and it was very hard to make decisions. I mean, I think maybe we had 15 scholarships, but we interviewed 80 or 90 people. Wow. So you had to say no to some very talented people. And some of them were had these jobs, you know, like you're 23, you've just graduated from UP or AUK or AUBG mm. or whatever. Mm. And you're the advisor to the minister of energy or the minister of this or that. Because you know how it is here, yeah, right? Yeah, There's yeah. so many youth. Yeah. And, you know, you just yeah. th- at that point, they were just pumping people into the yeah, public like, sector. Uh, even Gentaka became like the foreign minister of Albania. Like he was in my class. Exactly. <laughs> you know, like and he just graduated a couple of years later, becomes the foreign minister. So, yeah, that, that's that's a phenomenon. Yeah. And, and, and it wasn't like they were amateur type people who were doing these jobs that they weren't up to. I mean, they were both young, smart, well-educated, focused on building this country, and they seemed to deserve these jobs. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it's pretty easy. And these students did great yeah. in the States. Um, so my impressions of Prish- Kosovo, I can't say Kosovo because I was in Pristina. Mm. The people I was with were like, at that point, they were like, we're just going to stay in our hotel. We're going in the morning, do our work. We'll come back to the hotel, have dinner. And I Having been a former Peace Corps volunteer, I'm like, we're going out. I want, I'm going to go out and explore this place. Yeah. Man. So I, and they're like, no, nah, it's kind of dangerous. The regional security officer says you shouldn't <laughs> be out and about. <laughs> but I got, we got out, Yeah. Um, walked around the town. Oh, it was this, Pristina was the same then as it is now, but probably half as many people, yeah. half as many cars. For sure. Not nearly as many buildings and, buildings and restaurants and yeah. stuff, but. Um, you know, we went to the Maroon Club. Yeah, I got these yeah, guys to go to yeah. hear some, and and I was amazed by the music. It was kind of Albanian slash Yugoslavian folk or whatever okay, rock. Okay. Yeah, uh, found some art, bought some art. Um, I mean, I was t- really taken with the place. I found it really charming. Mm. That was 2008. I came back in 2010 and did that. Then I finished my work at CSU. I went to Tanzania for a year. Okay. Started a, an SME investment fund there. Okay. Um, Tanzania was kind of falling apart at that point. And I came back here in 2015. Okay. It looked much the same, but it, it seemed like it had bloomed a bit. Hmm. You know, it seemed less gray and brown. Yeah. And black, more colorful. 
Um, and, uh, you know, we were really pleased to come here. And even though relatively poor country, one of Europe's poorest yeah. countries, it still felt like Europe yeah. to us. And the uh, kind of the social intercourse, the social interaction that you saw in the cafes on Sheshi when it was a sunny day, you know, yeah. shoulder to yeah. shoulder yeah. with people. Like we were really taken, I think, as many Americans are, with yeah. the social connectedness of people mm. um so i mean i felt yeah. really positive about it then i feel really positive about kosovo now i have been here long enough to where i see things that i'm critical of yeah because that's what happens when you're yeah. in a place longer you, you see deeper but yeah. still you know yeah. the, the energy still feels great yeah hmm. yeah that's fascinating <laughs> uh that's fascinating you mentioned this uh social connection mm -hmm. um how do you say it's different from how the u.s social connection functions and 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 i ask this because i find that many people here um, that go outside they go to live in u.s or in germany or in switzerland mm -hmm. or wherever they're going mm -hmm. they go there but then there's always something missing you know like There's, there's like, ah, you know, they, they have a trouble integrating. And I find that the biggest thing that is missing is the, the, the social apparatus that we have of like having people to, you know, hey, let's go for a coffee. The, the same day spontaneous interactions mm -hmm. are off the charts. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I'm, I'm curious to hear your perspective on that, you know, how, uh, how do you see The, the 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 role that this social engine has to making Kosovo Kosovo. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean it's a really complicated question. I'm not cultural anthropologist, yeah. so uh, I mean I do know that social capital is everything mm. here. Mm. Social and, capital, and, as in who you know and who knows you, yeah. network. Yeah. yeah. So, and not just here. I mean, Bulgaria was the Balkans too. Yeah. Um, I, I lived there, and I've worked in Macedonia, um, Greece. I mean, you yeah. go to Thessaloniki. Yeah. The energy of Thessaloniki. I don't know if you've been lately, but at night is fantastic. There's just yeah. so much, so many people out together, eating and drinking and talking, and you know, yeah. it doesn't feel quite the. We don't have that. In the states, because I think Americans are so work-driven, hmm. you know, and we work a lot, and we work, <laughs> we get so much energy from our work, and then, you know, we don't walk anywhere. We, you know, like a, yeah. a lot of Americans get up, have their breakfast, jump in a car. Yeah. Sometimes they don't even go in the outside world; that their cars in an inside garage. Yeah. They drive to another inside garage, get out of their car, go to the office. Yeah. Work eight to ten hours, come home, have dinner, you know, watch Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you don't have any human contact, right? Yeah. Families maybe, yeah, families yeah. might have it. Um hmm. but you know, uh there's a great side and you know, in terms of feeling welcome and being really happy here. Mm -hmm. I see that all the time. I had that when I first came here and I You know, as I've had consultants yeah. over here and worked with other foreigners, we're really comfortable and happy here. And we, mm -hmm. we get a lot of energy from all that social yeah. uh, connection. Mm. I do remember when I got here, like I was chief of party for, um, for TLP, Transformational mm -hmm. Leadership Program for World Learning Aid Project, U.S. Aid Project. I'd go to lunch with people or coffee, which you do all the time yeah. here. Yeah. You do that more than anything. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't really understand that the people I was going out with looked at this as accumulating a kind of social capital. Mm. Me, by having coffee. And I wasn't an important person, you yeah. know. And then they'd always oftentimes want to get a selfie with me. And I was like, oh, okay, great, let's do a selfie. Yeah. And then I realized, you know, in a way, like, hmm. I'm being exploited in a way, not in a yeah. nefarious way, but somebody's increasing their social capital account by putting a picture of them with the chief of party from some American project. Yeah, interesting. Which I didn't kind of like. Yeah. And then, I mean, I realized also, like, because part of what I was doing wasn't just sending 
Kosovar and TLP sent 300 people for scholarships to the U.S., as you know. But I was also trying to rebuild the University of Pristina mm. as, a, as an enterprise, because the university is an enterprise, too. It's a social enterprise, yeah, really, right? Sure, um, sure. And uh, I got very frustrated designing ideas for subparts of that enterprise, like the Center Venture UP, the Center yeah. for Teaching Excellence, the Center for all these centers yeah. that have a certain design and governance to it. I'd work hard on it, send it over to the university. And I never got any feedback from the professors. Like the professors yeah. are theoretically the smartest people in this country. Yeah. I'd expect them, if I sent you a design, you'd mark it up and say, well, I think we should do it this way. This is good. This, yeah. you know, they never did that. And I'd come back and say, well, where's your input? And they'd say, it's perfect just the way it is. Uh. I'm like, no, it's not. This is a draft. Hmm. We should be engaging in this work together. So we engage over work in the U.S. and we get a lot of energy out of mm. it. And you and I do that too. We're always yeah. talking about our yeah. work, right? <laughs> um, mm. But I couldn't engage these professors in the design of this institution hmm. to make it better. Yet I could call them and say, hey, let's go for coffee. And they'd be there in 10 minutes. So the the value on building the social capital is so high. Yeah. And, and the value on what I would call like the intellectual work capital just yeah. is 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 ignored mm. at the expense of it. And I I mean I know there's cultural reasons for yeah. that. You lived in a place where building your social capital yeah. could advance your life, sure. could save your life. Yeah could save your kids' lives, advance their lives. So it was kind of everything. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's probably a gross oversimplification, but I think there's reasons for it. For sure it's like that. Now I think Kosovo's at a point where they need to kind of realize that it's not the social cap. Like, we have plenty of social capital. Let's have enough to make us happy, but let's focus a little less attention on the coffee and more attention on the actual designing something cool yeah Yeah. (laughs) oh my god so here's a quick story okay so i go to this bank not not mentioning their name but and i go and i have friends there i can call Uh, one of the directors is actually my former basketball friend and they abuse me by i mean abuse like oh no come tomorrow or uh, you know like just not taking it serious at all and i'm kind and i'm soft and all these things and then i'm randomly i meet with a friend i'm like dude i still don't have my 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 business account because they lost my papers and this and that it's like what why don't you call me i said it's not the point to call you you know and then and then he's like oh my god and then he gets involved and within Ten minutes, Carl. It gets solved. Something that you know, <laughs> and my, and then I told my parents, I'm like, wow, this happened. They're like, of course it happened. Like I knew somebody there. Why didn't you reach out to me? Yeah. And I'm like, I I don't want things to go like that. You know, like no, well, you want the institution to do the right thing exactly. because the rule because it's rules yeah. based, not connection based. Rules, culture. You know, like yeah. this. We need to change this because then there's people who don't have these connections. Yeah. You know, an example is I had a friend from uh, from Vitia mm-hmm. and uh, he was like, I would like to organize, I have a dream to organize a student event in Pristina. Yeah. And I said, do it. You know, like there's all these places. Okay, okay. And then one month goes, two months, and then he reaches out. He's like, mentor, um, we failed. I'm like... Think, what, what do you mean you failed? He said, well, we cannot secure a venue. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you have Kino Armata? He's like, yeah, I reached out to the email. Nobody answered. Mm-hmm. I said, well, you have this place. Oh, well, I reached out. Nobody. And then I realized, I'm like, damn, I have the number of mm-hmm. the people who run those. Yeah. You know, and I can just call them and say like, hey, dude, when can I come to do this event? Let's have a coffee. You know, like... Uh, that creates also this this inequality. Yeah. People who have access to people and people who don't. Yeah. You know, um, many times, like, I never get invited for entrepreneurship events, for instance, in mm-hmm. Pristina. Why? Because maybe I don't know people. Like, 
uh, it's it's all becomes who you know and who you're promoting it, and it's very unhealthy. You know, I mm-hmm. I don't like that at all. I think it has ability to get things done, mm-hmm. but as far as equality, mm-hmm. not everybody has the same access to that. Um, yeah, I mean, in fairness, America's like that in yeah. a way too, right? As you know, right? You know yeah. people who can sure. help, but it's so big, you know. Yeah. But our institutions also function. A quick story, uh, yeah. a woman who works for Kathy, my wife, uh-huh. uh, who's half Kosovar and half Dutch, oh, wants yeah. to get a passport here. Uh-huh. And instead of just putting her per- paperwork into whatever yeah. ministry of for- whoever ha- internal yeah. affairs or whatever, uh, her mom says, I know a guy. In fact, that's going to be the title of my book about the Balkans. I know a guy. I know a guy. Because <laughs> everyone thinks you got to know a guy. Yeah. Whether it's you're getting a new iPhone screen or a uh-huh. venue. Anyway, so this lovely person, instead of just putting it in normally, yeah. goes to the guy her mom knows. Yeah. And now it's five or six months later, and the guy hasn't done anything because the uh. guy isn't part of the. Oh you know, the God. structure that that's the state function yeah. whose job it is to move paperwork through yeah. a system. So I think, like, there's still a lot of this I know a guy thinking yeah. going because yeah. it's elemental to who we are. But actually, I think we're also in a place where uh. there is actually a lot of function. Like, to your friend who wanted a venue, mm. I would say, well, why didn't you jump on a bus, go to Pristina, go to Kino Amato, knock on a door? Because yeah. there is a tendency here for... I think people think, I don't know a guy, therefore it's not going to happen. Yeah, and I use right? the emails. Or they the use channels. it as an excuse, you know. Yeah. Well, what, what you do, like you might send an email to someone in Tempe, Arizona for a venue, and yeah. they tell you, you know, well, you're going to go back. You're going to yeah. drive there. You're going to yeah, knock on a sure. door. You're for not going to sure. quit. Yeah. People tend to quit hmm. on stuff here because they don't know a guy. They, <laughs> they don't know a guy. They blame their initial failure. <laughs> On the fact mm. that they don't know a guy. It becomes mm. this kind of proxy for wow. some external forces. And, like, I had a guy, uh, I know a guy <laughs> who we got in an MBA, uh, in a master's program at SICE, School uh-huh. of Advanced International Studies. He got a master's and came back here. Brilliant guy. He wanted to lecture in um, in international affairs at University of Pristina. He had a master's. Yeah. And... Uh, he contacted them. They said, sorry, we don't take masters, whatever. I don't know. I said, well, what did, how did you go back to them? He goes, what? I go, like, what was your response to that? He goes, well, they told me no. I don't know a guy there, you know? I'm like, have That's you not ever heard of Getting the Yes? You know the yeah. Getting the Yes. It's a famous seven times, book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You got to ask seven times yeah. before you go to yes. Mm. And the companion book here is meekly accepting no, because I don't know a guy. Yeah. So it's kind of damaging That's in a way, right? That's very interesting. No, it, yeah. your point is right. Like, there is this inequity. If, you, if you're great at building social network, you yeah. know, a bunch of guys, you get stuff done. Yeah. But on the other hand, I do think we now live in a country, a democracy with some state function and some fairness, mm-hmm. where you can still get good results if you don't know a guy yeah but you have to continue to push the bureaucracy or or whatever for sure fight it uh, and also be resourceful try different things i love i think that's brilliant that's a beautiful insight and for those that are listening i think uh you know if you don't know a guy and you try once you know try seven times (laughs) (laughs) until you get that yes or at least a clear no you know if it it doesn't work doesn't work but don't say i don't know someone and that's that's it that's an easy way out right yeah because i didn't get it my Hmm. my another dear friend of mine wanted a scholarship to thessaloniki to that sheffield thing yeah yeah and she was like I'm not, I said, you should apply. She goes, I don't know anyone over there. Those things, everyone knows yeah, yes. that you got to know a guy yeah, there. Yeah, I'm like, but you should apply anyway. No, no, no. You can't get anything done in this country unless you know somebody. Yeah. In the end, her husband persuaded her at the last minute to apply. Yeah. And she won it. And she was she, elated. She went and did her master's down yeah. there. And I That's said to her, I said, yeah. ah. So you got connections over there. She goes, no, no, I don't have any connections. I said, but you told me the only way you win these things if you have connections, uh, you know? Uh, <laughs> so wow. I love to give her a hard time about yeah, that. Yeah, no, I think that's actually, we need that. I think that's, that's you know, I think that's super healthy. Yeah. Very healthy because uh, 
we've had a system that worked only on that. Yeah. But it's changed. It's changing. You know, it's changing. As we speak. Yeah, as we speak, it's changing. And then people are still giving up on everything because they don't know a guy. Yeah. So uh, I think that's actually a really, really powerful insight. uh, Powerful insight. Uh, um, Carl, one thing that I'm curious, when, you know, eight years in, in Kosovo, how would you say Kosovo's branding is? Uh, and and but what I mean by branding is that when people come to experience, I know friends come to visit you just last month, you had somebody from Germany or something. Mm-hmm. Um, how do they, when they leave, what impressions do they have? What is Kosovo's branding and what do you think we can do to improve it a little bit? Mm-hmm. Well, um, I'm glad you asked that question because uh, <laughs> I think a lot about that. And I think a lot about this place, mm. you know, and I see the things like brand is not a lot of people think a brand is the logo huh. or whatever, you know, or the or the billboards or posters. Right. That's not brand. Yeah. Brand is things that we commonly believe and practice that make us who we are, uniquely mm. who we are. Mm. And, it, of course, your logo reflects that and your tagline and your advertisements. But but, you know, the underlying things are behavioral. And so, you know, like most foreigners who came here, I I must have come with low expectations because hmm. I was delighted. I was so surprised, you know, about the life and the lifestyle and the people and all the good things. And I think most people who come here um, take away an idea about this country, uh, a brand understanding, let's say. That is quite positive, hmm. you know, and a lot of people who come here as workers in my business, they want to come back. They love yeah. it here. You yeah. know, they love the stuff, some of the stuff we've been talking about. On the other hand, there's a lot of other things that go into your brand hmm. and how people perceive you. And I, I believe I've told you the story about my cousin who came from Munich hmm. um, with his girlfriend and they oh, spent yeah. some time in town here and we went to – you know, Gurmia, and we had coffees, and then they went out to Rogova, and they went hiking in those beautiful mountains. And then he, they went back to Munich, and I called my aunt. I was talking to my aunt a month later, and I said, you know, Hormos, my cousin's name is Hormos, um, half Iranian. Um, I said, you should come and visit us. And she goes, oh, but Hormos said it's so dirty there. Hmm. So he had experienced wonderful human interaction, but when he was in the mountains— he encountered garbage everywhere because yeah. there's this practice of people dumping garbage everywhere. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I know that personal cleanliness and cleanliness of your house here is a super high priority here. People, yeah. you don't wear your shoes in the house. Oh, yeah. Here in America, you never take yeah, your shoes yeah, off. Yeah, it's way super, <laughs> actually too clean sometimes. You clean your is. windows two days a week yeah. here in America. We clean it maybe once every yeah. three months. So you have really high notions of personal cleanliness True. yet foreigners who come here see garbage everywhere because mm. these are public spaces not yeah. private spaces yeah and then they go back and say well kosovo's dirty mm. which is mm. untrue personally yeah. but true generally yeah and then people like my aunt don't come here because people don't want to travel to a place mm. where there's garbage mm. everywhere or street yeah. dogs running around yeah. So I, I think this government insufficiently understands how some of these things, hmm. these relatively insignificant things like people littering or dogs, cost this country money. Because hmm. my cousin is one of thousands of people who came here and left with the same impression. Yeah. Nice people, but kind of dirty. Yeah. That's not what you want. Those aren't hmm. the ambassadors you want getting people to come here. Hmm. So, um, so that's one negative thing, and that's you know, you and I have mm, talked yeah. about that before. It it bothers you. Mm. I mean, obviously, the U.S. produces a thousand times the yeah. carbon waste, the waste that Kosovo yeah. Um, yeah. produces. So we're technically much dirtier, <laughs> but you don't see it. Yeah, you know, mm. um, there's not like mm. trash everywhere or street yeah. dogs or yeah. anything like that. That's interesting. That's yeah. interesting. And what do you think, uh, um, 
you know when when people are saying nice people you said like people see the people here they get the interactions you know i've i've even had my friends when they come here we go to cafes like we go to ditenat and there's music and mm -hmm. they get to while we're walking there we run into five six different people and that adds so much value yeah. uh you know like wow you know everybody here you know like <laughs> exactly. oh yeah this is this is the guy we went to school And, and I think that's awesome. People love that aliveness. Uh, you know, they, they love that aliveness. Mm -hmm. And and at the same time, um, you know, there's this other side of, of, you know, like street dogs or this or sometimes, you know, um, even, you know, what bothers me is air pollution, mm -hmm. you know. Or drivers treating you like you're a goat or a cow oh yeah you know? like I you mean, sometimes hard to walk on the street yeah. and all these things you have to leave the sidewalk to go yeah. in the street because somebody's parked yeah yeah but we tolerate that and 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 i'm curious what your perspective is um you know like the lady with a stroller mm -hmm. you know there's a car that just goes by the sidewalk blocks her way and the lady has to go by And and push her baby in the push traffic. Push her baby basically. in the traffic, you know, that type of stuff. And I'm I'm curious your perspective on how do you see that, you know? Like mm -hmm. are people that are so connected, so know each other, why I feel like it should be easy to treat that, right? To say like, hey, you know, mm -hmm. this is not a social norm, but it is a norm. And I'm curious why do you think and feel that that is that way? Yeah, I mean You know, the whole Mostanin Boetmir thing <laughs> is something we love, right? People yeah. are very tolerant here. But, you know, I don't think the woman with the stroller who's pushing her baby on the sidewalk, yeah. who now has to push into the street because somebody selfishly blocked the sidewalk, should say Mostanin Boetmir. She should say to that driver, yeah. you know, like, you've just screwed me over because you're too lazy to find a parking spot. You know, um, hmm. there's kind of an egotism. I think, I think it's changing though, because, uh, when I got here, when I first got here, you could stop your car on a game Ramadami yeah. Ramadani yeah. in rush hour. Right. Yeah. And cause you had to run into the dry cleaner or the bakery to get some bread and the people would just go around you. Nobody would beep their horn saying get the hell out of the way you're blocking traffic so yeah. you can get bread nobody used to beep their horn at all here but now yeah. i'm starting to hear it like people yeah. are kind of saying you you can't just do everything you want for yourself and expect people to go bohead mir hmm. you know now there's this is a bigger city there's twice as many people maybe three times as many people here you know we're not a little shot or you know Hmm. Uh, Katuna, you yeah. know, although we got a bunch of Katunars in town here. Yeah. So I think it's 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 changing, but it's frustrating for us who've lived in yeah. highly organized societies. It doesn't seem like it's getting there fast enough. Hmm. Ka hmm. Kathy and I were in Thessaloniki two weeks ago, and that main road that runs along the sea there. The, I don't know if you've been to yeah, Thess. Yeah, yeah. It's two lanes, one way, uh -huh. and it is chucker block there's traffic there all day long and we're coming back along the seafront and we see that there's a car stopped there mm -hmm. and people are beeping their horn and going around they're very frustrated there's only two lanes and that yeah. is a major route wow. and as we approach we see it has a kosovo plate <laughs> and then we see there's a starbucks across the street and this person from here had stopped their car on this busy road <laughs> his girlfriend or wife was in getting them you know, Starbucks. double lot, car caramel lattes or something. <laughs> we just laugh because yeah. clearly this person came from this culture yeah. where it's bohet mirror with that. I mean, yeah. for fortunately it was in Greece and people were mad, but they weren't like, if you did that in New Jersey, you could get shot. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Wow. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely in flux and it's changing. And I think like these values, I do, I do think, like, to your point about brand, I think the government should be paying somebody, possibly you and me, but mm -hmm. possibly yeah. Saatchi and Saatchi or some yeah, other yeah. organization that's, you know, respond, that understands brand and should be subtly communicating how what we do is when we do selfish things as individuals here mm -hmm. 
for our immediate gratification, that adds up to a perception hmm. that's not good for you know that's not the perception we want to have and it's not who kosovars are kosovars would do anything for you if you're in their clan yeah you know yeah, if you're sure. in their family if you're for their sure. american friend what they'll do anything for you it's amazing huh. but when 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 they're making decisions for their personal life yeah. they're screwing over other people like the woman with the stroller yeah you know, yeah, so it's right. complicated. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Carl, we've reached one hour, wow. believe it or not. Um, <laughs> we haven't talked I about it. I feel very like we much. just started. <laughs> we just started, but thank you. Uh, I think this is really beautiful perspectives in so many levels. Um, you know, just an overall conversation. You know, we touched many, some of your life stories, some of the lessons, going, exploring. Yeah. I'd love to have you again um, yeah. to dive i'd love to also see the role of international community mm -hmm. in in kosovo because mm -hmm. i feel like it's sometimes it's creating dependency and sometimes it's helping yeah so how do you balance that and how do we each find the the roles between these two you know uh, uh worlds right there but i'm so grateful you're here um and thank you for also being in kosovo eight years and uh, I'm surprised uh, that, you know, like, uh, you, you still have all these good words. I know because sometimes all of us after some time become like, oh, my God, this is too much. And it is. But if you realize that everywhere in the world, you know, that that happens and it becomes normal. So thank you so much for everything. And thank you for being a guest here. Thanks for having me. I'd love to come back. Yeah. Thank you, Kosovo, for putting up with me for eight years because <laughs> I'm a cranky old guy. But um I do have a lot of thoughts about international development. I've worked in that yeah. field for a long time. Yeah. And I think they're doing a lot of great work here, AID yeah. and the Europeans. But I do think there's things that could be done on the Kosovo side yeah. to manage for more return on investment. Yeah. So we could talk about that yeah. sometime. Let's do thank it. You, Let's thank do you so it. much. Yeah, awesome. Thanks, Carl. Okay. Okru shok. Okru. Hey. <laughs> <laughs>